The following audio is from Shady Grove Presbyterian Church in Rockville, Maryland. Our mission is to follow Jesus Christ and labor for His kingdom both in our area and around the world. For more information about Shady Grove Presbyterian Church, please follow us on Facebook and visit ShadyGrovePCA.org. All right. Well, good morning, everyone. Um, <clears throat> this morning's scripture reading comes from Psalm chapter 16. Psalms chapter 16. A victim of David. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion in my cup. He will hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also, my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It was uh, 1995, when I had my first kidney transplant. That's when my mom donated her kidney to me the summer before freshman year of high school. After two long and at the very end, painful years of peritoneal dialysis. That was in 1995. 10 years later in 2005, I came to faith in Jesus Christ and was baptized. A couple years after that, I heard a sermon at a conference for young adults, and I don't remember much of the sermon, except that the preacher touched upon Psalm 16. And from that point on, for the next few years, Psalm 16 became the psalm. I was finally able to say and answer that Christian question that gets asked around all the time, where for the longest time I felt really embarrassed that I didn't have an answer to this question. What is your favorite Bible verse? And if you wanted precision with your godliness, you'd you'd get asked, what is your favorite psalm? So I was relieved that I could finally fit in. My answer, Psalm 16. And why do Christians ask these kind of questions anyways? So anyways, Psalm 16. All right, more precisely, Psalm 16 Verse 6 was the verse for me. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. As a new Christian, I could finally see the lines God had drawn for me was my health as a kidney transplant patient. I could finally embrace the restrictions that come along with it as pleasant. I share this with you because Um, Pastor Charlie had asked if I'd be able to join in on the psalm theme for this month. And to speak to a psalm 
that had ministered to me. Psalm 16, verse 6 had served me well, and you know, that Christian question that gets asked did, I guess, suppose, prepare me a little bit for today. So thanks again, Pastor Charlie, and the session for giving me this chance to serve the church family today. What do you find yourself praying for most frequently these days? Or what's your one ask these days? What's the one thing that you need to get through the day? Or for some, through the night? If you can't put into words today, right now, what it is you need, that's okay. Let me ask you, what's been troubling you? Out of the 11 verses of Psalm 16, there's only one ask or one request, and that's in the first verse, which says, preserve me, O God. David asks God to preserve him because he goes to God. And even as I say that and hear myself say it, it sounds pretty obvious. But here's the thing. David goes to God and no other God for this ask. And this one request, it's more than a prayer request. By seeing these words, David declares exclusive loyalty to the God of the Bible, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Not only was David the author of this psalm, he was also the king of Israel. When the people of God are in trouble, it's the king's responsibility to protect them, which is why the Bible describes kings as shepherds, leaders who are supposed to protect God's people. But what does the shepherd king do when things get hard for him? What, whom, does he go to for protection? Well, David the king preserves for us here an example of how he goes to the original shepherd, the original king of Israel, the Lord, Yahweh himself. This psalm asks, the ask for protection shows us David's loyalty to the conditions of their relationship. And the rest of the psalm, you could say, gives you insight into that relationship. What kind of relationship is it? Well, verse two says, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. That's the foundation of the relationship. Among other ways we could use to describe David and God's relationship, we see here that it's a master-servant relationship. But unlike toxic and abusive relationships you see in the Bible, and as you may have experienced in your life, this relationship is one where a Lord commits himself to the good of his people. More specifically, in our psalm for today, we can see three things about this relationship. Number one, it's where God alone is David's blessing. Number two, God blesses David with things. And as a result, number three, David entrusts his life to God through the very end. We're going to reflect on this loyalty-preserving relationship in the psalm together so that, Lord willing, we could share the same affections for our God as it's poetically written here so that that relationship fuels our asks, our prayer requests, 
our petitions and our groanings with the one imperative of verse one. Preserve me, O God, for I take refuge in you. So that, and this is the main point of the sermon for today, you may be refreshed by God's grace to entrust your life to God who preserves you through the very end. God alone is David's blessing. To be in relationship with God means the Lord is your God and the Lord alone. What or who else is there apart from God? Well, God did make it clear to his people. Moses had addressed it before they arrived in the promised land. Canaan was full of idols. The Lord, to the Lord, these idols were an abomination. They were disgusting to God. And the people of God were also supposed to be disgusted by them. And before they went into the promised land, God commanded them, as soon as they arrive, to destroy those idols. And so David, a man after God's own heart, therefore, doesn't choose the idols of the land, but instead honors God. And it's been captured for us here in verse 5. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. What does David mean when he writes portion and cup? You might be able to check out other translations, English translations of the Bible, to where it does elaborate on that a little bit. But since it's poetry, there are different but all very good interpretations of what these metaphors mean. Here's one that might be easy to remember. It comes from uh, an Old Testament professor who sees both metaphors, portion and cup, together to to mean daily provisions, you know, like daily bread that we pray for in the Lord's Prayer. Here's a quote from that Old Testament professor. It's as if Yahweh himself is my food and drink. He's the one who sustains me and refreshes me. So you can't live without God like you can't live without food and water. Cup, in this case, means a cup of blessing, as opposed to the other cup you might be familiar with in the Bible, that is the cup of God's wrath. God alone, the maker of heaven and earth, who sustains David every day and every night, is David's blessing. And David also makes sure to always stay, always be with his source of life. Verse eight says, I've set the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Being at the king's right hand is a position of honor and favor. So David favors the Lord above all others. He counts on God being in his corner and is constantly in relationship with God. And that is a blessing. Who you're with when things get hard make all the difference. With God always with you, you also view people differently. David writes in verse three that he delights in the saints in the land, that is those who are loyal or faithful to the Lord. And on the other hand, David also sees the sorrows that multiply for those who run after another God and he won't have anything to do with them. In this case, that means he won't do anything that looks like worshiping these idols, 
pour out drink offerings of blood or take their names on his lips, especially since God had already commanded his people to take his name and to not do it in vain, as it says in the third commandment. Verse three can be convicting because it doesn't explicitly say much more about those people who run after other gods. It doesn't say necessarily they are the pagan worshipers that God told Israel to get rid of or displace from the land. The sorrow that multiplies is for those who run after other gods, even if you identify yourself with the God of the Bible. So the exhortation for the, for the Lord's day today from King David, commit yourself to the excellent single-hearted devotion to the Lord our God alone. This psalm invites you into this kind of relationship. This psalm invites you to entrust your life to God who won't turn your back on you, to the God who made you, who sustains you, to the one who orders your life for your good. When things get difficult, isn't it all about who is with you in it that makes all the difference? It's an exclusive commitment to go to your Lord that honors him. The second part of the relationship that Psalm 16 highlights is that God blesses David. There's a couple of things we can see here. Generally speaking, generally speaking circumstances in verse 6 and counsel or guidance in verse 7. Verse 6 says, The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. What's David referring to when he writes the lines? And what's the beautiful inheritance? Well, you're supposed to think of property boundary lines, specifically the boundary lines for the 12 tribes of of Israel. And that land becomes an inheritance for the people, a beautiful one. It's not just that David and the kingdom of God had land, but that it was God who had given it to them after living in a foreign place, Egypt, as slaves with nothing of their own for 400 years before they finally landed. And the king, David, was satisfied with what God had blessed him. In other words, David was content with whatever circumstances God had marked out for him. This was my go-to verse. Psalm 16, verse 6, especially the first part, became my first uh, Bible-based lens with which I understood my boundaries as a kidney transplant patient who has to be on immunosuppression. So when it's time to get the flu shot or the COVID vaccinations, it's 65 and older and Howard who gets priority. And, and those restrictions, what do they include? They include um, having to put on and lather on SPF 35 uh, before I go out and get too much sun because I have a higher risk of getting skin cancer as a result of the meds. I have to watch the sodium and protein or animal protein intake, which might be a good thing for many of us anyways. Sometimes I have to feel like I have to be a bubble daddy, you know, uh, around my children, especially when they're at that age uh, where they're perpetually sick and snotty during the winter. 
Otherwise, I'll get sick. And it'll take easily three to four times longer for me to get better because of the immunosuppressive drugs, to prevent my own immune system that's too smart for its own good to, from rejecting the foreign organ that's keeping the rest of the body alive. So the, the lines have fallen for me, indeed. And for sure, there are days where it's pleasant. I can, that resonates with me. But to be transparent, more so these days, Psalm 16, verse 6, doesn't seem consistent with the way I feel. Life doesn't feel pleasant at the moment, let alone beautiful, especially with COVID, the pandemic. You know, the physical health risks for sure, but also the impact on mental health. Decisions and guidance about vaccines, businesses, education, still keeps changing. And for me, it doesn't feel like we're ever really going to land anywhere anytime soon. So with all sincerity, though somewhat rhetorically since it's a sermon, brothers and sisters, how are you doing? If you're also not quite feeling all the words of Psalm 16 today, that's okay. You and I can read the whole thing together as a prayer request. For example, verse six might sound like this. Lord, the lines have fallen for me. This is what I'm going through. This is what's happening to me, to my child, to my parents, my friend, my coworker, my neighbor, and it is not pleasant. Please, please God, somehow make it beautiful. God's sovereignty can soothe even the most desperate soul. The other blessing is in verse seven. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel in the night also, my heart instructs me. As king of Israel, counsel and guidance wasn't just a a nice to have. It wasn't like having a board of advisors or mentors whose good or bad counsel or advice you could either follow or ignore. Moses, who lived at a time in Israel's family history where there's no human king yet, wrote down some instructions about instructions for the king in Deuteronomy chapter 17, verses 18 to 19, which says, and when the king sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself in a book a copy of this law approved by the Levitical priests, and it shall be with him, and he shall read read in it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by keeping all the words of this law and these statutes and doing them. Those instructions for the king were divinely mandated and infallibly codified for him. God blesses David with counsel, and what happens as a result of receiving and and internalizing it is a conscience that works even at night. Thank God for leaders where their consciences are seared by God's word. That's how some of the commentators interpret the second half of verse seven. In the night also, my heart instructs me. The Hebrew word there, if you have your Bible open, click the little click or look down at the little footnote. 
The Hebrew word there gets, that gets translated heart in many English translations of the Bible is actually kidneys. So if you're curious as to how I remember Psalm 16 after all these years, kidneys, kidneys, man, kidneys. So God blesses David with all the good that he needs to live, after, live his life under God-ordained circumstances and how to live with what he has where he's at. Based on this poetic glimpse into their relationship, who else would David go to but God himself and cry out, preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. Brothers and sisters, entrust your life to God because the one who preserves you blesses you with how to live with what you have where you are at. What we've covered so far forms the premises for verses 9 to 10. Verse 8 again says, I shall not be shaken. Under what kinds of circumstances could David have been shaken? Well, we can name a few today. Uh, Being betrayed and hunted by his king, King Saul. Watching his young son die because of David's own grievous sins, or being betrayed by another one of his sons. God really did preserve David, both body and soul, when he faced a lot of difficult circumstances. Here in verse 9, David focuses in on his physical security when he writes, My flesh also dwells secure. He's secure knowing God is with him and God will preserve him even when facing death. Verse 10 says, For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. David declares that even when he dies, even when he dies, because Sheol means the realm of the dead, God won't abandon him even while he's there. Who you're with makes all the difference when you have nothing and where you're at is in the grave. So let me ask again, what's your one ask these days? What do you need to get through another day or another week in the beginning of 2022, which I've been hearing for many, the past two years have been such a blur Preserve us, O God. Preserve us from corrupt politicians with left-wing policies, with right-wing policies, with centrist policies. Preserve us from inflation, identity theft, ransomware. Preserve us from abusive spouses, abusive pastors, Preserve us through chronic illness, acute illness, terminal illness. Preserve us through aging, through atrophy, from family, from those people, from myself. What if, what if nothing changes? What if everything changes. There are a couple of things 
that won't change. God and death. And with the help of Psalm 16, we can declare with David, God is with us even in and through death. When, when we reflect on death, we insert ourselves back into the big story of the Bible. In the beginning, our first parents' relationship with God was without sin and death. Adam and Eve lived in the presence of God. God gave them his word that if they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they would surely die. Genesis chapter 2, verse 17. And they did it, and they eventually died. God was true to his word. But why doesn't the story of the Bible stop there? Why doesn't it stop after Adam and Eve sin? Well, in the words of our church father from the fourth century, St. Athanasius, it was improper or unfitting or in more colloquial terms today, it just ain't right for creatures made in the image of God to be subjected to the consequence of death, meaning corruption for, or for the body to decay. It's not death in itself that's improper, but rather it's humanity disappearing from the face of the earth into the dust of the earth that is so not right in God's eyes. And everyone after Adam dies. As the Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 22, in Adam, all die. And this includes King David. If David dies, which he did, then who's this holy one that will not see or experience corruption in verse 10? Oh, and God also had promised David that David's throne would be established forever. Who from David's line will die, which many did, but then also whose body will not stay in the grave and decay? Who's going to continue David's line and be king of the Jews again? Now, now, if there's ever a time for the Sunday school answer, it's right now. <laughs> Jesus, the apostle Peter, also came to understand why his master, after telling him, no, don't do it, why his master Jesus had to die. And he explained it from Psalm 16. After being baptized by the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, Peter speaks to the people around him and says this after quoting Psalm 16. In Acts chapter 2, starting with verse 29. Brothers and sisters, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us today. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. 
And that is gospel. Amazingly good news. Going back to what the Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 22, where he writes, in Adam I'll die. He follows that up with, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. And our church father goes on to explain in the book on the incarnation how God solves the problem of both sin, transgression, and corruption and decay. First, he writes, he writes how repentance is not enough. To stop sinning is not enough. Why? Because we all would still die and our bodies decay. It's not just about forgiveness of sins, plural, but our sin nature needs to be completely demolished and renovated for God's creation to flourish in his likeness. So what was God's solution to the creation problem? The title of the book on the incarnation kind of gives, gives it away. The solution is the incarnation of the eternal, incorruptible word of God. Here's Athanasius. The incorruptible Son of God, being united with all in virtue of a like nature, naturally clothed all with incorruption in the promise of the resurrection. For the corruption itself in death no longer has force against men by virtue of the word dwelling in them through his one body. When God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, makes, he will preserve and recreate in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day before corruption set in, he rose again, preserved by God the Father. He ascended into heaven, is seated at the right hand of the Father, where according to Psalm 16, verse 11, are pleasures forevermore. And he will come again to judge the living and the dead. The apostles creed with bits of Psalm 16 sprinkled in. Birth, life, death, resurrection, that was Jesus' path. That's the path to eternal, incorruptible life. Before Psalm 16 is declared by us, it's declared and experienced by Jesus, the greater shepherd king himself, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. United to Jesus by faith, his path becomes our path to eternal life, to incorruptibility. And by the grace of God and faithful witnesses, martyrs, missionaries, evangelists, disciples whose names you'll never read about, God has made known to us the path of life. Transplanted kidneys don't last forever. My first one didn't. 
I got my second transplant in May 2011, that time from my younger brother. I'm almost at year 11 with a, living a close to normal as possible life on his kidney. And praise God and thank you, Philip. Statistically, I should be looking uh, to get on the transplant waiting list in a couple of years. But what happens when that one expires? What about the next one when that one expires? Then one day, I won't need dialysis or another kidney anymore. I'll join the holy ones who have gone before me on this path of life through death and cry out together with my master and all the saints, preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge since he is with us and works out all things to preserve us through the very end. To God alone be the glory. Would you join me in prayer? Let's pray. Preserve us, O God, and comfort us in life and death because we are not our own, but belong body and soul in life and in death to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus, you have fully paid for all our sins with your precious blood and have delivered us from the tyranny of the devil. Watch over us in such a way that not a hair can fall from our heads without the will of our Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for our salvation because we belong to you by your Holy Spirit, Lord Christ. Assure us of eternal life and make us wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for you. Amen.